book of John, John chapter 9. And as I mentioned earlier, we are going to be having just a little series dipping into this book. My main concern is for us to take a look at Christ being the shepherd and how he both draws and how he takes his own flock and leads them. But I want to begin by introducing here Jesus' statement to the Pharisees in John chapter uh, 9. Excuse me. Now just for our information, you'll notice that in verse 40 of John 9, Jesus is addressing the Pharisees. And you may want to make a little note in your Bible that in John chapter 10 and verse 1, there's no break in the conversation there. That when he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, his primary audience is who? It is the Pharisees. And so we want to keep that in mind as we move forward here in our series. John chapter 9, verse 39. And Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see, and they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? Jesus said unto them, If you were blind, ye should have no sin. But now you say, We see. Therefore your sin remaineth. Now these words are given to us in the context of the healing both externally or physically of this blind man in John chapter 9 and also the salvation of this man in John chapter 9. And you may have some notes in your Bible here, but John chapter 9 gives to us both the progression of spiritual illumination, the drawing of a man to Christ, and also the progression of the spiritual blinding of unbelievers. And that really is the verdict that he's giving to us here in verse 39. You'll see Jesus said, For judgment, or for judicial verdict, I have come into this world. Now this blind man is a man who does get healed physically, but Jesus' primary emphasis is to see him come to himself. And you'll notice that in verse 3 of John chapter 9, where Jesus answers the disciples' question by saying this, Neither has this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest where? In him. Not just a manifestation of the healing of his eyes, but a work that is going to go on in him. And we know from John chapter 6 that this is the work of God, that we might believe in him whom God has sent. 
So what we're having to see here in this man is a progression from where he's at. He's blind physically, but he's also blind internally, coming to a saving understanding of Christ Himself. And we saw that illumination in other messages. If you look at John chapter 9 and verse 6, you'll see the beginning here where he anoints this blind man's eyes using means. It says that when he is thus spoken, he spake on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And of course, he tells him to go wash that off. And folks, you and I know that if I just take dirt and put it on your blind eyes, it doesn't what? It doesn't heal it, anything. Nor if I told you, hey, get dirty and then go down to the river and wash. That doesn't do what? It doesn't do anything. But what we have here is the creative purposes of God seeking to work inside of this man. And so what the man does is he acts on the truth that he has received. Verse 7, He said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which by interpretation sent. And he went his way therefore and washed, and he came seeing. It's amazing. But then there is this inward work that is going on. And we'll see that in chapter 9 and verse 11 when the neighbors come to him and ask him, well, how, how were your eyes opened? And in verse 11 he says this, He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and I received sight. So what is his understanding of Jesus at this point? His understanding is is that he's just a man. A miracle? Absolutely. But his understanding is that he's just a man. But he's going to progress from that. And we see in verse 17 when he's asked again about this, he says, verse 17, They say unto the blind man again, Well, what sayest thou of him? What do you say about this man? That he's opened your eyes. And now the man says he's a what? He's a prophet. So folks, do you and I realize that is the man growing in his understanding of who Jesus is? He is growing in that understanding. Then again, he continues to be drawn. Verse 25. He again answers the Pharisees, and he says in verse 25, whether he be a sinner or no, I don't know. But one thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I, now I see. So not only has he moved to, he's just a man, and he's moved, well, he's a prophet, now he's beginning to wonder, is he more than an ordinary man? Well, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. I'm not sure about that. But one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I what? Now I see. And the seeing there, brethren, isn't internal seeing yet. It's that he can see with his physical what? His physical eyes. Well, then he moves on in this progression. Look at verse 27. Verse 27. 
They asked Him again. He answers them, I've told you already, and you did not hear. Wherefore will you hear it again? Will you also be His... Ah... So now we move from he's just he's just a human, he's just an ordinary man, he might be a good teacher, to know I think he's a prophet, but you know what? He's got to be more than just an ordinary man, and the man commits himself to be a learner follower of this man, though he doesn't even know the man yet. Are you also going to be his disciple? a learner follower of Christ. So the man is committed to following him, is he not? But he's going to move on from there. In John 9, in verse 33, he makes this statement. If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. So where has the man proceeded now? I, I'm committed to be his disciple. I don't really know him, but I am coming to this conclusion. He must be of God. He must have come from God. Now folks, that takes him more than just an ordinary man, right? He's coming to have the eyes of his understanding being enlightened from the one who is the light of the world. And he just comes to this place, John chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said unto him, Do you believe on the Son of God? I mean, the man's ready, isn't he? Verse 36, He answered and said, Who is He, Lord, that I might believe on Him? Now folks, remember, He had not seen the man. He was blind when Jesus put the spittle on his eyes and told him to go wash. And when he washed, he came back seeing, but Christ wasn't there. So he has no idea other than perhaps he's saying to himself, you know what, I think I might have heard this voice before. And Jesus says, verse 37, You have both seen Him. Now He can see, right? With His physical eyes. You have both seen Him, and it is He that is talking with you. Verse 38. Lord, I what? I believe. And He worshipped Him. Folks, you only worship deity. And so folks, what we see here are possibly, I don't have scripture that says this definitively, but I do think that it is interesting to read this elongated illustration of God doing a work in this man. 
to bring him to Christ, that possibly what we have here are common steps of the Spirit of God drawing a man to salvation in Christ. And this is exactly what the text tells us. If you go back a couple of chapters to John chapter 6, and look at verse 44. Jesus is addressing them again, and He's saying, don't grumble or murmur among yourselves. Verse 44, No man can come to Me except the Father which has sent Me draw him. So must a person be drawn. They must be drawn. Then He tells us how that happens. Verse 45, It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that has heard and has learned of the Father comes unto me. Now let's just take a step back. We're just reviewing, we're getting the context of what Jesus is going to present to us here this morning. Was there a hidden hand behind this blind man in which he is coming to certain deductions. He is learning of the Father, and he is learning of the Son, and is he not coming to the place where having believed those things, he's brought to Christ? The answer to that is what? The answer to that is yes. And that's why I say that possibly... What we have here are common steps of the Spirit of God drawing a man to salvation in Christ Jesus. It really is an amazing chapter. But brethren, there's also something else going on here. There is a tragedy that is occurring. There has been the progression of spiritual illumination in this formerly blind man. But there is also, at the same moment, spiritual progression of blinding in the Pharisees. And this really is staggering. Because you'll notice that in John 9 and verse 16, their first objection is that they say, therefore said some of the Pharisees, this man is not of who? This man is not of God. The blind man is coming to a place where he says, this man has to be of God. They're saying this man is not of God because he keeps not the Sabbath day. Others said, well, how could a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. These Pharisees and others that were there were full of doubt. Their disposition about what they were seeing was doubt. In fact, you'll notice in verse 16 that those who were doubting said, how can a man 
that is a sinner. They're seeing Jesus as a good teacher. They may even be seeing Jesus as a great man. Certainly, if we had a man here today that was doing such miracles, people would flock to him, would they not? Not in a saving way, perhaps, but out of curiosity. They would walk away with doubts and concerns. How could this man, he's like me, he's a human, how could he be doing such things? But the Pharisees themselves actually said, this man is not of God. That was their default. And of course you and I know that they accused him of being the prince of the devils. That he was actually doing these miracles under the power of Beelzebub. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? A man who went around doing good, only doing good, and yet they are accusing him of doing his works by the devil. They said this man is not of God because he keeps not the Sabbath. In other words, he's not following our traditions. He was keeping the Sabbath. It is lawful to do good on the what? On the Sabbath. But he did not keep their hundreds of laws, and you can actually read about those laws in their own writings, hundreds of laws about what they could or couldn't do on the Sabbath day. Perhaps at the beginning they had good intentions because they were trying to keep people from actually violating God's commandments. But ultimately their traditions became the commandment. That certainly is a darkening position, isn't it? And then if you look down at verse 18 of John 9... But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received sight. They questioned the accuracy of the miracle. I mean, nobody had been healed who had been born blind. And so therefore, it could not be. Surely the science of the day would have said, this is impossible. And yet Christ, the Creator, healed this man's physical eyes. But they are doubting that. They are questioning the accuracy of that miracle. And then again, if you look down at verse 24, they're going to say the same thing. Then again, they called the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know. We know that this man is a what? We know this. But they were wrong. Everybody see that? They are absolutely convinced because of their darkness they are absolutely convinced that Jesus is a sinner. 
And they're convinced of that because he had broken their fences that they had put around God's commandments. And at the end of the day, if you look down at verses 29 and 30, they ended up manifesting their own spiritual blindness. Verse 29, they say, well, you're his disciple, we're Moses' disciples. We know, look at all the things they know. We know that God spake unto Moses, but as for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. The man answered and said unto them, Why, herein is a marvelous thing that you don't know from whence he is, and yet he just opened my eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. And of course they were upset at this ignorant, healed, person attempting to teach them. And yet it is written, is it not, that out of the mouth of babes God has ordained strength and praise. Folks, there is a rising up of spiritual illumination in this blind man. And there is also a darkening The light of truth is going down on the horizon in these people's souls. And folks, it's happening all at the same what? The same time. Now that brings to us Jesus' comments in verses 39 through 41. And what we have in verse 39 is a verdict pronounced. In verse 40, the verdict is questioned by the Pharisees. And in verse 41, Jesus enforces the verdict. Now, brethren, what we need to understand today is that Jesus' coming brought a crisis into the world. In other words, now that He's come, and He lived, did He not? And He died, and He's risen again. And people believe on Him. And people take His voice into all the world. Now that He's come, it puts the world in a quandary. What is the quandary? It is the same quandary that we just went through. He says in verse 39, note what He says, For judgment, I am come into this world. Everybody see that? For judgment, I came into this world. He did not come into this world to be liked by everybody. He did not come into this world to be bosom buddies with everybody. His coming 
manifested a crisis. Because now you can't be neutral about Him. And folks, here here is what we think. We think that people can be neutral. We make the statement sometimes, well, you know, we gave Christ to them, we shared the Gospel with them, but, you know, they're just not ready. They're not, they're not going backwards. They may not be going forwards, but they're kind of in this neutral area to where you know, nothing actually is happening in their souls. Jesus denies that. You and I might not see what's happening inside. Just like we didn't know what was going on with the blind man, except the Holy Spirit revealed it to us. And we wouldn't have known about the Pharisees except the Holy Spirit reveal it to us. But there is is nothing that comes close to a man being confronted by the living Christ through His living Word to remain neutral in their response to God. And folks, I do think that that truth does create a dilemma for God's people. You say, well, how so? Well, we live in a culture today that out of one corner of their mouth says, you shouldn't be confronted. Right? When you confront somebody, you're either giving them a yes or a or a no. I mean, you ought to realize that everybody's opinions all have valid day in court. You ought to value what that other person thinks about certain things. You ought not to tell them where they're they're wrong. <laughs> That's almost like the greatest transgression in our culture. For someone to stand up with truth and to say, this is right, this is wrong, if you're on the wrong side, you're wrong. And I've given this illustration before, but several decades ago, I was pastoring another church and a man came and said they had witnessed to a man, a business owner there in town, and the business owner told him, said, well, I'll never come to your church. And so this man said, well, why would you never come to our church? He said, because your preacher gets up and tells people what to do. That's the mentality of the world. And yet, on the other hand, the world doesn't mind confronting you about its ideas and telling you that you're on the wrong side of history. But such is the world. This moment of the healing of the blind man and the darkening of the Pharisees brought both parties into the courtroom. 
And we know that because of what Jesus said. Look at verse 39 again. For judgment, I am come into this world. All right, what is the verdict? What is the legality that should be going on in this courtroom right now when you have both parties being brought into this judgment hall? What is the judgment? Verse 39, that they which see not might see, and they which see might be made blind. There's the verdict. This is the judge bringing down his gavel and making a legal decision, a legal verdict between these two people. The judgment is, is that those who say they're seeing are made blind. And those who are blind, they have the possibility of what? Of seeing. That's the judgment that Jesus Christ brings into the world. And folks, you and I know, because we just went through this in John chapter 9, did we have a blind man, both physically and internally, be brought to a place of sight? that the eyes of his understanding were being enlightened? The answer to that is what? Yes. And did we not see that same verdict being worked out in the lives of the Pharisees, and they claimed to see? But their eyes were not opened. They darkened themselves in unbelief. So I want to ask you this question. Who was really blind in John 9? Was it the physical man who got his physical eye seen open? No. That man came to truly what? To see. It was the vast number of religious people who said, they kept saying this, we know, we know, we know. We know. Not recognizing the ignorance and the darkness that was in their own soul. And folks, this really is a danger for people who have been raised in Bible preaching churches. These Pharisees had grown up in Phariseeism, right? They had grown up in Judaism. They had grown up being in the synagogue. They had grown up opening the Torah, first five books of the Bible. They had grown up knowing what the will of the Lord is. They had been instructed in theological schools and all this. But what they never realized is that they were truly what? Blind. And it's real easy. It's real easy for us to become so familiar with spiritual things that we fail to realize our own blindness. And folks, here's really the first step. You have to know your blindness in order to be asked not to be made blind. 
right? You don't know to be saved unless you know you need to be saved. You don't know that you need spiritual light unless you know you are in spiritual darkness. You can't ask God to do something for you if you don't think you need it. And it brings to mind a lady, my wife will remember this, but a lady who had always resisted the ministry of the gospel in her life. She kept saying, I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved. Don't bother me. Don't come and talk to me about the gospel. And one time she ended up having some heart issues. And her daughter, who was a member of our church, called me up and said, I just want you to know my mother's on the way to your house. And I was like, oh. And I thought, my wife's not here, and here's this lady coming to my house, and you know, you want to maintain good testimony and be blameless. And so, sure enough, in a few moments, I hear the car right up, knock on the door, open the door. I, called, I said, hey, and I called her name, and she just barged right into the house. And she said to me, she said, now, Pastor, I just want you to know right off the bat, I'm saved. So don't talk to me about this. But I'm really afraid. And she was afraid because she was going to have a heart calf and they were going to do some things to try to determine what the issues are. So I said, okay. <clears throat> so we sat down on the couch <clears throat> and she poured out her heart. And I turned to this lady and I said, well, you know, the answer to your problem is Christ. And I didn't... I just started preaching the gospel to her. And we got through, prayed with her. We stood up and I called her name and I said, you know what? I said, you really need to give serious consideration to what we talked about. You don't need to put this off. You really need to think deeply about this. And she just looked at me and she said, think deeply, I want to get saved right now. And she grabbed my hand and threw me to the ground, literally. We both just dropped to our knees right there in front of the couch. And she prayed and called on the name of the Lord to be saved. And a week or so later, she made this comment to me. She said, I always thought I was saved until I got saved. Isn't that an amazing statement? I always thought I could see until I realized I couldn't see, and now I see. And now I see what you're saying. That's true for a lot of people in our nation. They've not been born from above. And folks, this is what's happening to these people. If you hold on to your own blindness, to your own self-righteousness, to your own delusions about yourself, if you hold on to all those things, you'll never have the possibility of receiving true salvation in Jesus Christ. 
you're just going to get darker and darker and darker in your soul. But if you would acknowledge your true spiritual condition, if you would say to yourself, you know, I know some things about the Bible, but I really don't know the truth. If you really acknowledge your own spiritual condition, if you would acknowledge your ignorance of what the Scripture has to say, if you would acknowledge, I don't really know Christ, I've heard about Him with my ears, but I don't know Him. Just like Job said, I've heard about you with the hearing of my ears, but now my eyes see you and I repent in dust and ashes. If you refuse to entertain your own true spiritual condition, the verdict is, folks, this has come down through a courtroom. The verdict is, is that if you say that you see, you will be made blind And if you say that you don't see, you have the possibility of what? You have the possibility of seeing. This is a decree from heaven. Now the Pharisees in verse 40 question that verdict. They're not really excited about that judgment. Nor do they even believe it. But in verse 40 it says, And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? So did they understand the jest of the verdict? They did understand the jest of the verdict. And they had some pricking of conscience that what Jesus was saying was against them. So now what they're saying to themselves is this. When they say, are we blind also? What they're seeking to do is to self-justify their own position. I mean, we know the blind man was blind. But are you saying that we're blind? And of course, when they ask that of our Lord, they are having an already preconceived answer to that question. They're actually expecting the Lord to say, No, you're not blind. That's the understood answer that they're expecting. I mean, we, we can't be like this guy. But the fact is, regardless of all the externals, regardless of all the ethnicities, the dress, the look, we're all the same. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All! Every one of us. Whether we are in the poverty in the backwoods of Africa or Australia, whatever. 
whether we are clothed in fine garb and in a nice, comfortable, denominational church. They were expecting the Lord to say no because what they were trying to do was excuse themselves from the verdict. And this is exactly what Romans 2 and verse 15 says. We won't turn there. But it says that lost men's consciences will either accuse others or excuse themselves. And folks, you know that's true, right? Anytime someone gets brought, take your children, they get brought under, did, did you take the cookies? No, Betty made me. What are they doing? They're trying to shift the blame and the responsibility off of them to who? To others. Or they'll say something like this, well, yes, I did take the cookie, but... I was hungry and they were there and if you hadn't put the cookies on the lower shelf, I couldn't have reached them. I mean, there's just all kinds of excuses. This is lost people's mentality. But a person who is being drawn to Christ says, it's me, O Lord. It's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. I'm the one. I'm the one off in the corner of the temple beating my breast saying, God, be merciful to me. A what? A sinner. While the Pharisee is saying, Dear God, I thank You that I'm not like other men. And he was thanking God for it, although the Bible says he wasn't praying to God, he was praying to himself. They were expecting the Lord to say, no, you're not blind. But folks, what the Pharisees are doing is they are actually showing the verdict operating in their life. What is the judgment? The judgment is people who don't see have the possibility of seeing and people who say they do see will be made what? Blind. And that verdict is operating in the lives of these people. Right then. And right now. Because remember folks, I told you there's no neutrality. God's truth doesn't bring us to some neutral place. Right now, you're either listening to the words of Jesus Christ and growing darker in your rejection of those words, or you're being taught by God and learning unto obedience. He's going to go on and say in John chapter 10, My sheep hear my voice and they they follow me because their lives have been changed they have been given spiritual illumination and it is all from above people in the blind category know they have no spiritual understanding 
And people who claim to be in the seen category in many cases are religious pretenders and hypocrites and self-righteous people. They're just holding on to their own excuses. So we must ask this question. What category are we this morning? What category are you? Children, what is your category? Parents, what realm are we at? Are are we in the kingdom of light? Or the kingdom of darkness? Where are we at? Now thanks be to God, many, perhaps most here this morning, are in the kingdom of light. Hallelujah. And you know that what I'm saying to you is exactly how it was in your own life. You came to a place where you realized you were darkness. You were a sinner. You were condemned. You fell short of the glory of God. You knew you couldn't save yourself or be good enough or know enough or obey enough. You needed the righteousness of God, not of yourself. And you needed not only that righteousness to be credited to your account, hallelujah for that, but you needed Jesus' own obedience credited to your account. Because you and I will never be perfect enough to go to heaven, even as a Christian. Even as a believer, we fall far short of conformity into the image of our loving Savior. So we had a verdict that was given. For judgment I have come into this world. What is the verdict? That they which see not might see, and they which see might be made blind. We've seen the verdict was questioned by the Pharisees. Surely this can't be, are we blind also? And of course the answer to that was, yes they were. And now we're going to see the verdict enforced. Jesus isn't going to change the verdict. Verse 41, Jesus said to them, that is the sum of the Pharisees, He said to them, if you were blind, you should have no sin. But now you say we see, therefore your sin what? Remains. Folks, he's not doing anything other than restating the verdict. If those Pharisees had ever come to a place where they truly believed they were spiritually blind, they could have had the opportunity to to see. But they never came to that. And presently, in the context of which this statement is given, it doesn't mean that later on they couldn't have come to the possibility of really seeing that they were spiritually blind and asking for sight. Could they have done that? The answer to that is absolutely. And we know in the book of Acts that many of the Pharisees did truly end up believing after the resurrection. 
But at this point, they kept saying, we see, we see, we see. Therefore, their sin remained on them. Brother, I just want to remind you what they said they saw. I mean, wouldn't you want to know what they're saying they're seeing? They said, this is what we see. This man is a sinner. Did you hear that? That's what they said they saw. They saw that he was just a mere human. Maybe a little bit better than they were. Maybe having more popularity than they had. Maybe doing things they couldn't explain. But good teacher maybe. Certainly not a prophet that would bring us under judgment. And certainly not of God. And certainly not of God. And certainly not what he's going to go on and say, that he's the son of God, that he's deity in human flesh. Certainly not any of that. What did they say they saw? They said that we know that he breaks our traditions. He doesn't obey our commandments. And what else did they say they saw? We don't know how He's doing it. They can't deny the miracle, right? I'm reading into the text. Maybe it was the mud. Maybe it was the medicine we gave Him. Maybe it was the surgery. Maybe it was the ingenuity of man. Maybe there's something magical about the pool at Salom. Maybe he took an herbal medication. But it can't be of who? It can't be God. That's what they kept saying we see. And folks, you and I who have come to the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, know that's not light. (laughs) That's darkness. But if the light that is in you be darkness, how great is that darkness? J.C. Ryle wrote in his commentaries on the Gospel, and I commend them to you. They're very devotional, very warm. You really will receive a great benefit from reading them. They're not long, but he said this concerning this passage. And I'm quoting. If you really were ignorant you would be far less blameworthy than you are now. If you were really blind, you would not be guilty of the sin of willful unbelief as you are now. But unhappily, you say that you know the truth and see the light and are not ignorant even while you are rejecting me. 
This self-satisfied state of mind is the very thing that is ruining you. It makes your sin abide heavy on you. Is that right? Folks, people that have been exposed to spiritual light have greater condemnation than people who've never heard. All men are condemned whether you've heard or not. But how much greater the condemnation to have been raised in a Bible-preaching church, to be raised in a gospel home, and then reject it. That is a darkness beyond all darkness. And this is exactly what the Jews did. We won't turn there, but in Romans 2 and Romans 9, they took all the spiritual privileges that they had. Did they have a lot of spiritual privileges? They had the temple. They had the service. They had the types. They had the prophets. They had the Scripture. All those spiritual privileges they used for themselves to establish their own goodness, which was seen in the fact that they condemned others, not knowing that they're in the same boat as they are. What we are as believers is by the grace of God and nothing else. They took the precious things of Christ and made it corruptible. And in the process, kept others from coming to the light. And brethren, this is exactly what Paul had to lay aside. He had to lay aside his heritage. He had to lay aside his own self-righteousness. He had to lay aside his own upbringing. Because when Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, it destroyed his self-righteousness so that he could be saved and built up in the things of Christ. I close by another quote from J.C. Ryle. He says, Let us note what a heavy condemnation this text contains for those professing Christians who are constantly comforting themselves by saying, We know, we're not ignorant, we see the truth, yet they lazily sit still in irreligion and make no attempt to obey. Such persons, however little they think about it, are far more guilty before God than the poor heathen who have never heard truth at all. The more light a man has, the more sin if he does not believe. And folks, that is sadly true, isn't it? The people that you give 
the words of Christ to can't leave you neutral. They're either being drawn into the light or they are being made more dark. That is the judgment. That's the legal verdict that God gives from heaven concerning His Son. So I want to ask you this question. Have you been born again? Do you have the life of God in your soul? Now folks, I've been in the ministry a long time and I know how people will take that question and change the question. I'm asking you, have you been born again? I'm not asking you if you prayed a sinner's prayer sometime, although you may have done that and been generally converted. I'm not asking you if you said to me, as many say to me when I ask them that, they'll say, well, I've done that. Understood, it didn't work. I'm not asking you whether you believe in your own faith. You believe in your own faith, you will die in your sins. You must believe in Christ alone. You must be born from above. And when the life of God enters into the soul of man, we don't become perfect, but we are changed. New affections, new motivations, new desires, and you fall at His feet in worship for what He and He alone has done for us. Every head bowed and every